0: Welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Esther Rini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the Holocaust in Greece. Hi, friends, and welcome to season three, episode 17 of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. This week, we are going to be going to Greece and to talk about the Holocaust there. Um, probably a country that I haven't focused so much on when I think about it in my studies or stuff that I've done. So, a really interesting one for me, and some great stories. Uh, well testimony and resources that I have to share with you today and also yeah websites and stuff that you can look up and and do a bit more of your own um personal learning if you'd like to um I'm not sure that I've got anything to mention this week I'm still kicking into gear really it's it's the second week of January so i guess everybody feels the same you kind of switch your brain off towards the end of the year and then you have to switch it back on again in january so i don't know i don't think i'm going to talk for too long on the intro so let's just crack on with the episode shall we Okay, so the Holocaust in Greece. So... Greece actually had one of the longest continuous communities of Jewish people in Europe and this community was almost completely destroyed during the Holocaust. So during World War II, Greece was occupied by the Axis forces of Germany, Italy and Bulgaria from spring 1941 until October 1944 and the country was divided into different occupation zones between these three countries. At the time of initial occupation there were roughly seven 21,000 Jews living in Greece the largest community of which resided in Salonika which was over half of the entire um, Greek Jewish population at that time so roughly 43,000 people and depending on which occupied zone um, Jewish people lived in um, and ultimately whose ...governing they came under, this played a big part in what their fate would be, meaning the type of persecution they would suffer and whether there would be an opportunity for them to escape. As you can probably guess, those that lived in the German-occupied zone were subject to the same persecution experienced across Europe, so they would be subject to anti-Jewish laws that were being enforced in other countries... Those that lived in the Italian zone were somewhat protected as the Italian military occupation generally ignored the German effort to carry out mass murder. They refused to permit or aid the deportation of Jewish people from their zone and even on several occasions announced that they would actually deport people from the from um, the occupied zone to the Italian mainland. Although, unfortunately, this never actually happened. Because of this thousands of Jews fled the German-occupied zone to the Italian one, seeking refuge. And if anyone's listened to the episode on France, it's a similar situation to what happened there. This all changed, though, when Italy surrendered to the Allies in September of 1943. And when the Germans took over, they were able to then implement the final solution on the Jewish population there as well. The Bulgarian administration, unlike the Italians, did readily collaborate with Nazi policy. Um, Deportations from Greece weren't started until March of 1943. So if you think of that in the context of war, that's actually quite late. Um, Yeah, that's quite late on in the war. And in the German occupied zone, 2,000 male Jews were sent to Salonika in July of 1942 on forced labour projects. Then in February of the following year, Jewish people were then forced and concentrated into two ghetto areas within the city. And it was from these ghettos that they were then deported between the 20th of March and the 19th of August, 1943. So within five months, over 40,000 Jews were deported from Salonika. As I said in the beginning, the population of this city was about 43,000 people, and the Jewish population, sorry, from Salonika directly to Auschwitz-Birkenau, where the majority were murdered upon arrival and here i just want to read some short testimonies of what the deportations were actually like and um, these testimonies are taken and you have to forgive me if i'm not saying the name right couldn't figure out how to say it um but they're taken from the kahila kadosha yanina synagogue and museum um from their website the link of which i will put in the bio cuz they have some They've done a lot of work around um, commemorating the Holocaust in Greece and remembering the victims there. And also they give a lot of information on what the the different Jewish communities that existed there. And also, yeah, just um, personal testimonies and um, kind of facts and figures about how the Holocaust happened in Greece. So if you want some more information, I would suggest that you go to that website and have a look at the kind of work that they're doing and the resources that they have on there. Anyway, so... I'm just going to read some testimonies from um, what it was like for people being deported from Greece all the way to Poland in uh, yeah by train. So the first testimony is from Leon, Leon Mayer from Salonika, who's 28, and I quote, "'We were loaded into the cattle cars "'early in the morning of April 26th. "'The conditions were traumatic. "'They were railroad cars used for animals and rubbish.' they were completely sealed. We could not breathe. There were two barrels inside each car, one for our bodily needs and one holding drinking water. The only food we had was what we brought with us. The cars were filled to the point of suffocation. We tried to arrange ourselves so that that we could sit. It was impossible to lie down. There was no room. We took turns lying down. The trip took about six or seven days. It was very difficult. The train made one stop somewhere in the mountains. We got down, emptied the barrels and then started to move again. We, we made another one stop on the border of Austria and Yugoslavia. However, that time we were not permitted to get water. You can imagine how people were suffering. It was horrible. The children were crying and the elderly could not calm themselves down. The young people patiently tried to endure. Some seriously ill people died in some of the cars during the journey. We learned about that later on. Fortunately, we did not have such occurrences in our own car. End quote. The next one is from Moses Eskenazi from Salonika, who is aged 30, who was married and with a young child on the journey. Quote, they told us that they would take us to live in Poland. First of all, we knew nothing. Secondly, we had families. We had no idea we would suffer so much. If we knew, we would have stayed here. We would have fought like men. So we went to Birkenau. We travelled in freight cars that were crowded and dirty. There was not even room to breathe. Donkeys travelled in better conditions than we did. We were about 50 to 60 people in each car. They told us to take a large pot for water and another for our bodily needs. The trip took about six to eight days. They made stops to get water but they did not allow us to go out of the cars. It was midnight when we arrived at the camp end quote. This final testimony is from Iakov Pardo from Salonika, who was aged 20 at the time. We were packed, and a quote, we were packed into cattle cars made to transport animals. There were no seats. They had put a bucket in the corner with a curtain in front so that we could go and urinate, nothing else. We were crammed together inside. There was not even an open window, nothing. We were 60 people in the car. We could neither sit nor lay down. The only food we have was what we had brought with us. They told us that the trip would last eight days. They gave us water on the road. We did not get down from the cars. They had locked us in. They gave us cans of water. We arrived in Auschwitz. It was night. They said, those that can march on foot go over there. Those that cannot walk will go by truck. Many young people were so exhausted they could not walk and went on the trucks. They did not know that they were going to their death, end quote. So those three testimonies I just wanted to read to give some insight on the experiences of people who were being deported from Greece. As you can imagine, it's such a long way to travel by train. And I think everybody kind of knows that infamously people were deported by train in cattle cars to these camps but to get a real idea of of a slight insight into what that experience could have been like and yeah just just to give examples really that when we talk about these kinds of things we talk about people's real experiences and sometimes it's kind of hard to understand um what that would have been like and what that would entail to actually deport thousands and thousands of people from countries across Europe. And yeah, we just have to remember that real people experienced these things. And even, I mean, the persecution was happening anyway where they lived, but even the journey towards these camps was just horrendous. Anyway, moving swiftly on. So so these deportations continued and in the Berlin, sorry, Bulgarian occupied zone and um, the Bulgarian military concentrated roughly 4,200 Jews from various assembly points or to um, various assembly points where they were then handed over to German custody they were then deported to Treblinka which was a death camp in German occupied Poland uh, where they would have been murdered on arrival, I do want to add here that for the most part, I think people know what a concentration camp is, but death camps weren't the same thing, and it is important to differentiate between the two the difference the main difference being a concentration between a concentration camp and a death camp is the main function of a death camp is extermination, so it's to it was to murder people um through gassings essentially, and there were only six of these types of camps and they were Helmno, Belzec, Sobibor, Treblinka, Majdanek, and Auschwitz, Auschwitz-Birkenau and the latter two camps that I've just mentioned did use prisoners for forced labour as well but this was designed but they were, it was designed in a way to have people like really completely work to death or to the brink of and then to murder them or dispose of their bodies the function, even though um, Auschwitz, Auschwitz and Majdanek can be understood to be kind of forced labour camps and somewhat concentration camps as well as death camps, the function of these camps wasn't, they weren't ki- keeping prisoners alive for work per se. The function wasn't that if you managed to not be selected for immediate gassing that then you would just quite happily just be able to survive through forced labor the labor the work details that they were doing and the way the camp was set up was designed so so that ultimately it was extermination through death and through work also um that's why you will hear of the infamous selection processes at Auschwitz-Birkenau but not at Treblinka or Belzec because people who arrived by train at these camps at Treblinka or Belgec or Z- Sobibor were directly driven from the train to the gas chambers so if you visit any of these sites you can really get an understanding that it was a matter of metres between where people would have been disembarked and then they would have just been told to basically walk everybody in the same di- direction down the same kind of pathway directly to the chambers so, so yeah that's just a very brief um, differentiation between those, those types of camps. Um, so the Jewish people that were residing in the former Italian zone were also concentrated at assembly points. And approximately eight to 10,000 Jews from Athens, 2,000, 2,000 from Rhodes and 2,000 from Corfu were also deported directly to Auschwitz-Birkenau. So it's thought that around eight to 10,000 Greek Jews were able to survive the Holocaust due to the efforts of the leaders of the Greek Orthodox Church and Greek civilians alike who rejected the anti-Semitic policies of the Nazi occupiers. Partisans played an integral role in the resistance against Nazi occupation in Greece. And I do want to tell you about one Jewish woman in particular from a small town near Athens, athens named sarah fortis this is her biography which is taken from the website facing history and ourselves which if you google you'll be able to find um, a lot of information about the holocaust in different countries Um, so it's a really good website to have a look at Um, so i'm just going to read her biography that they have written there and i quote when the nazis came to her hometown in 1941 sarah knew it was time to leave she had heard about Jews in other small Greek towns being deported by the Nazis and never returning. After fleeing with her mother, they settled in a small village. When it was no longer safe, Sarah was told that she needed to find a new place to hide, although the villagers agreed to continue to protect her mother. While looking for a new place to stay, Sarah was offered the opportunity to join the resistance and became a guerrilla resistance fighter, She agreed, but with conditions. Wanting to play a significant role in the group, Sara insisted that she be allowed to recruit other women who wished to fight and form their own unit. On their first mission, Sara's unit was ordered to throw Molotov cocktails to distract the enemy and allow the partisans to to attack. Impressed by their skills, the male partisans invited the all-female group to join them on future assignments. As the war continued, Sara's All all female partisan unit burnt down houses, executed Nazi collaborators and aided men in a way no group of women partisans had before. Despite their accomplishments, sexism prevented Sara's unit from getting the respect or credit they deserved. In fact, Greek resistance partisan fighters were given credit for many of the missions that women carried out because few people believed that women could accomplish such acts. Despite the unit's lack of recognition, Sara became a prominent and well-respected figure in the movement in Greece. By age 18, she was known as Captain Sarika. The Nazis sent an informer to try to capture her, who mistakenly arrested, then brutally assaulted and murdered her cousin, Medi. Vowing revenge, Sara tracked down and executed the informer. After the war... The group fell out of favor with the new Greek government because of the political alliances they formed. Sara was arrested, but fortunately her reputation as a hero of the resistance led to her release. She then immigrated to Israel, end quote. So in Greece, there is a very big narrative um, of resistance and also um Greek civilians and also the Orthodox Church actually aiding, trying or trying to help the Jewish community there. So, if you are interested in that kind of thing, I would also suggest to look that up. Um, it can be quite easy sometimes um when we do talk about the Holocaust. So we are trying to learn about it to only focus on kind of the dark side of the of things, obviously. it it's very it's a horrific topic to talk about, but. There are these stories of hope and resistance and people who did fight back and also did a lot of different things to kind of aid and help other people, which I think are very important stories to tell because it kind of gives you a more nuanced picture and idea of what the Holocaust was and what genocide actually entails and the lengths that people have to go through to actually save people who are being persecuted to quite a horrific extent so yeah i would encourage to look up stories of resistance and just bearing in mind that yeah it's a part of the whole story not you know it unfortunately wasn't not everybody was fortunate enough to have people defending or hiding them or or fighting for them so as i said earlier around eight to 10,000 10, Greek Jews were saved because of these resistance efforts, which is quite incredible. Um, but to round up, it is estimated that between sixty to 70,000 Greek Jews were murdered during the Holocaust. The majority were sent to Auschwitz-Birkenau. And that, in a nutshell, is the Holocaust in Greece. So that is it for today, everybody. As ever, if you want to reach out or talk about anything or or ask me any questions, then please do um, shoot me over an email, info at withoutthefootnotes.org. And you can also contact me via instagram which is at without the footnotes i'm always happy to talk over things or point people in the right direction for different resources stuff like that or if you want to tell a personal story or you have a connection to any of the countries that i've been talking about over this last season um series season Um, yeah and I think that's everything for today as ever please rate review subscribe share with friends or colleagues or students anyone who you think might be interested in learning more about the holocaust and genocide and that's all for this week I will catch you next time ciao